0: Welcome to Carrying Wayward, a supernatural podcast for fans who aren't ready to let go and newcomers to the series who are ready to jump in. I'm Marie Vigourou.
1: And I'm Drew Shulman. In this episode, we're diving into Supernatural Season 2, Episode 20: What Is and What Should Never Be. Let's get this show on the road.
0: me what you thought about this episode
1: blown away as soon as it was revealed they were hunting a djinn and we were probably going to get some cool like I figured a wish would be a thing I didn't think we get a whole like alternate universe what a good episode so much to read into and dig
0: there are a lot of notes that we must go through so perhaps we should go directly to the recap
1: give me a countdown
0: three two one
1: The boys are hunting a jinn, Sam's home doing the research, and by home I mean a motel room, and Dean's out on the go. They think they might know where it is, and Dean's like, I'll go look for myself and be alone, which is a stupid thing to do, if anyone would know. But of course, Dean is a smartass and thinks he's better than everybody else in this kind of cases, so he goes anyways, meets the jinn, the jinn touches him, and suddenly he wakes up in bed with an attractive woman, and his mom's alive, and Sam's with Jess, and what? He's ended up in a weird wish world where his one wish of his mother never dying has come true, but then we see, despite how glorious and good everything is, the downsides of all this that, you know, they never got to do their work and they never got to save people. So all these things that they stopped in the past didn't happen and he decides he has to go back and then he convinces Sam that he's actually going after a jin Sam doesn't believe him, but then eventually does when he sees the jin do its, you know, drinking of blood or something. And then there's a really heartfelt moment where Dean tries to off himself because that's how you get out of a dream and everyone suddenly appears, thus proving it's a dream to try to convince him not to. But he does it anyways and he gets up, Sam shows up and they save the day and they stop the jinn. But it opens up the road to a lot of really dark questions. Time? Did I miss anything?
0: You ask a very interesting question, Drew, because I feel like you gave a really good recap. But there is just so much in this episode that like, it's impossible to go over everything in a minute and a half, let alone in a minute and 10 seconds. So today, we have a very long, long game because this is a foundational episode. There are literally things in this episode that you can refer to in season 15. I know that there are people who have seen up to season 15, who have seen the whole series, basically. And And I I, I kinda wanna talk to them in this in this moment.
1: Okay, well let's see what you have to share with them. And me, I guess.
0: Let's start with the gin dream sequence. You know, Dean is not wearing his usual necklace. I can't say too much more about that because it plays a role in later seasons. But I don't know if you noticed that he wasn't wearing his usual necklace.
1: Did not notice. But now that you say it, I've been convinced since the beginning there was something behind that necklace.
0: Also important to note that Dean's greatest wish was to have his mom back. You know, to experience life with her because that becomes very important. As the very tail end of season 11 and up until season
1: 15. Is the wish not just that he had a normal life?
0: The way that everybody took this episode or read this episode, I mean, at least in fandom, is that his mom had never died, didn't die in the fire.
1: I was just curious to know if there was ever like a, a like a concrete answer to that, because I feel like wishing for a normal life might answer a few questions in this scenario. But also, I, I think just the mom being alive does just as much work. So.
0: I think in this particular case that the having a normal life is a byproduct of having his mom be alive, basically, and he doesn't know who his mom really was. All he knows is that she was this beautiful blonde woman that loved him very much and who he loved very much, right? Like, that's all he remembers of her, along with a few details. On a lighter and probably very unintelligible note for you, John was on a softball team, and Dean says, quote, That's funny to me. I'm just going to leave that one out there for anyone who has seen Scooby Natural.
1: See, I just thought it was funny because, like, I can't see John being on a team with, like, working as a team. He's, like, a one-man show.
0: It's funny because it's mundane. It's funny because he has to work as a team, and he's never worked as a team from, like, anything that Dean remembers. And it's also funny for another reason that we will find out at that moment. I can't wait. Also, like, this moment where Dean is basically going bananas over a sandwich that Mary made him, and again, like, that's going to be referred to in season five. I also want to notice that after he finishes mowing the lawn, Dean is drinking El Sol beer. Now, believe it or not, beer brand in dream sequences is actually something that we need to keep track of.
1: The amount of mundane things in this episode you have pulled out that are like worth noticing. You're telling me there's more to beers in dream sequences than that?
0: I know that it sounds Absolutely bonkers. I know that. Anybody who has seen theories about season 15 knows exactly what I'm talking about. So, When Sam from the Jin reality and Dean from our reality actually enter the warehouse in Illinois, there's a shot that really lingers on a typewriter. The typewriter is going to come to mean something to us in season 5, when it's associated with a very specific character that ends up staying on the show on and off until season 15, and is also associated with the concept of destiny on the show. You know, there's a lot of discussion and conversation about whether certain things that happened in later seasons were planned in the early seasons. that Like, that's a huge conversation. And I don't know what to say, but frankly, like, this is just a, it's just a really interesting thing to note.
1: You do this very well. You have these things on my radar now that I just can't wait to see that I'm just like, we'll get there and hopefully remember to come back and kind of vaguely discuss these because I want to make sure these connections are made obvious.
0: Last thing, and this doesn't really have much to do with the long game, but... I had to sit through this episode, so I'm going to make everybody suffer with me. Did you know that Dean and Jessica actually share a birthday? Really? They are both born on January 24th. Dean in 1979 and Jessica in 1984. So basically every year that Sam was away at, like from Dean at college, he'd celebrate Jess's birthday and think of Dean. And every year after Jess died, he'd celebrate Dean's birthday and think of Jess.
1: Oh, that's really sad.
0: And if you remember, Mary and Jess also share a death day. November 2nd, Mary in 1983,
1: and Jess in 2005. Uh, shall we dive into story time to further discuss the pain we both felt?
0: Let's i know that i have a ton of stuff that i want to talk about in story time but is there anything that you sort of like want to bring up
1: i kind of said at the top of the episode i really enjoyed this one i love the idea of a weirdly canonical dream episode like this because it lets us really explore things we couldn't explore otherwise this has been probably the most powerful I would say Dean episodes yet. It really gives us a great insight into Dean, his relationships, and who he used to be versus who he is now, which I think does a lot. And like I said, I have some points to bring up throughout, which I'll sprinkle in as we kind of go through, but it really is an eye opener.
0: Better than home?
1: I might say yeah.
0: Okay, all right, interesting.
1: I feel like Home gave us a lot of information about the brothers, the family, and the relationship. This gives us a little bit more about who Dean really is.
0: I have some thoughts about why this episode was quote-unquote given to Dean that we'll discuss in critical time, actually, because I think that that's a really interesting choice. So let's start at the top-ish of the episode when Dean calls Dream Sam to tell him that he got attacked by the djinn, and then Sam thinks, that like he's drunk dialing him after drinking gin. I remember just like kind of laughing out loud at that moment. <laughs> I just thought it was really funny. And then after that, when Dean sort of takes off, when he sees that it's going nowhere with Sam and he goes to see Mary, he realizes that it's really her. And he's like, I didn't think that wishes can really... And he doesn't even finish a sentence, you know? And it sort of makes me wonder about two things. The first thing is that when he was in the car talking about like Barbara Eden from I Dream of Jeannie being hotter than than Elizabeth Montgomery from Bewitched, it sort of felt like this was a a way to kind of cover up like what his real train of thought was, what he would be wishing about if he were to encounter a gin. Because if that's the case, then I feel like this is another instance of Dean using like talking about women in order to cover up his true desires. Like we've seen him do this, right? When it came to having crushes on men, to checking out men and whatnot. Here we're sort of seeing him longing to have known his mom better. So it's not just, it's basically something that he does in order to cover up what he really feels
1: part of me was wondering what the wish really was because it makes sense if the wish was that you know that mary never died that's why he would go there first but then the fact that the reality isn't perfect per se that even in a reality that is like i mean realistically if you're the jinn and your goal is to keep people like locked up like this happily ever after wouldn't you try to make things more perfect
0: obviously seeing as i watched this this morning i had a talk with you know some people on twitter about it there seems to be a thought that the jinn is not in control of the the dream or at least not fully in control you are in control of the dream you make the good things happen and it seems like you know the imperfections of the reality actually come from the way that Dean sees himself.
1: Oh, that does make a lot more sense.
0: There's a second thing, too, that I was wondering when he was, you know, speaking with her. Do you think that he went into the warehouse by himself specifically to find the djinn by himself? Was this some sort of, like, subconscious desire to make a wish on his part?
1: I thought that, too. Like, the fact that he was so quick to go in after it, it felt like... I almost expected him to go in, meet it, and like try to talk to it before it attacked him. But I think there is a part of him that kind of was curious to meet this thing and see what the deal was before bringing Sam in because he wanted to learn a little more. For once, he wanted the education, but I think there was that ulterior motive to it the whole time.
0: It's a possibility because Sam is insisting. He's like, no, 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 I'll come with you. Come and get me. And Dean goes, no, 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 no. Like he blows him off entirely.
1: Which is very not Dean.
0: Which is very not Dean, right? So that's kind of why and especially because he was trying to cover up what he was really thinking about it got me wondering and did you realize how Happy Dean was when he realized that, like, Sam is with Jessica.
1: Well, I mean, this entire time, like, the one thing we know about Dean to be true that is just so innate is he has been a parent to Sam, that all he ever wanted for Sam, like we said back at the beginning of the season, was just to go back to school and get a normal life again and not hunting. So to see that not only is he happy, but he's happy with the person he loves and things are just normal in Dean's eyes, of course he's happy. It's so fleeting, but it's so pure. And then, of course, after this amazing moment, and we find out that it's not all, you know, roses and daffodils. I can't, what's the expression?
0: Like in this version of the Matrix, like they're
1: just not close. I feel like, you know, we've always said they're such different characters. If they didn't have the traumatic bonding experience of hunting shit together with John.
0: You basically like brought out what this brought out for me as well. This episode that we're looking at right now is asking some real questions about blood family. Because something that we're finding out is that Dina's not a nice person in in his dream reality, which is kind of weird because it's your dream reality. And yet you're not nice.
1: Kind of like the black sheep of the family in this scenario.
0: You know, at the very least, he's somebody who's caused Sam a lot of harm.
1: I even feel like the way Mary reacts to him. And again, we'll talk about the drinking a little bit later. But like even the way Mary responds to him, it feels like their relationship wasn't not bad, but was one of those, like, you come by for special occasions, we play nice, but we're not close.
0: Yeah, certainly taken for granted. And I feel like the whole point of that conversation that Dean and Sam are having after they come home from her birthday dinner, you know, Dean is saying, but we're brothers and dream Sam is like, we don't have that much in common because in Sam's reality, they don't have, like you said, the years of common experiences and shared trauma that they have in Dean's reality for Dean, we're brothers. Others means something because they consistently choose each other in his reality, but in Sam's they don't. You know, we're brothers just means that they share DNA. It's the moment that they start choosing each other. You know, when Sa- a little bit later in the episode when Sam gets into the car to go hunt the gin with Dean, you know, although we find out that he thinks he's going to meet a bookie, that the whole we're brothers actually starts to mean something to him.
1: The moment that Sam gets in the car, at no point does Sam just like walk away or like do something drastic. Like he's just trying to help and when he realizes the best thing to do is just to follow along. That, that's kind of our Sam leaking through a little bit I feel because I feel like the Sam in reality and the Sam in the dream are still the same Sam and you know as much as they don't have a connection he knows they're still brothers
0: again if you go from the principle that this is Sam how Dean thinks of him Dean thinks the best of Sam so of course like eventually they're going to get to that point where they're close again and I think Dean says it at one point you know it really kills me that I can't stay and fix things and I think that if he had stays stayed sorry he would have fixed things you know they Would have been able to get close again because the Dean that we know, who has worked on himself, would for sure be able to fix things with his brother.
1: I would have loved to have seen an alternate, like extended cut of this episode where we get to see like what would have happened had he stayed and like you made things better, where would they have ended up?
0: So we also find out that, you know, all of the work that Sam and Dean have done in the last couple of years has been erased. You know, all the people that they've saved in this reality, they've actually died. And when he finds that out, Dean goes to John's grave, which I thought was really interesting considering that earlier this season and children shouldn't play with dead things, he was so categorically opposed to going to Mary's grave.
1: Yeah, I forgot about that.
0: Like, I just didn't know what to make of that moment. I mean, like, I have so many thoughts, but like, what did you think of that moment?
1: He didn't want to face Mary's grave, but he's willing to face John's. I feel like that means there's still something connecting them. Like, he feels like his, sto- his story with Mary was done at that point and anything further would just be, you know, a shadow on the memory, whereas John's memory is already so dark that seeing his grave doesn't really have that much of an effect on him, even in the way that he speaks to him, and rightfully so. It lets him sort of just get out some of the emotions he's needed to get out, you know, for two damn seasons.
0: When I watched this, it really sort of crystallized the theme of the episode for me, which I think Is about destiny and sacrifice, right? Basically the hero's journey.
1: Oh, very, very clearly. No argument here.
0: So we're for sure going to be talking about like Joseph Campbell's theories about the hero's journey in, you know, future episodes, because this is like... It comes back a lot. And I know that when I bring up the hero's journey, there's some supernatural fans who are going to scream as I'm saying this. And I'm really sorry, but I'm really having trouble reading it any other
1: way. I'm not sure why fans would be upset with the hero's journey as a narrative tool, but I feel like the nice thing with the hero's journey is you're able to kind of in more modern uses, pick pieces out of it to help guide a character, but not have to follow the entire thing to a T. So if this is just sort of going along the whole destiny and sacrifice angle within the hero's journey, it doesn't mean we have to, you know, hold the story to the journey the entire way through.
0: No, I think the issue here is what happens in later seasons, because what happens here, I mean, it makes sense, right? Again, to come back to this episode that's in season two and to see the things, to see things play out as they do is infuriating for someone who's seen the finale and who has those feelings about it. But, I mean, you know, for those who did enjoy it, then I'm sure that, you know, this episode is is wonderful. And, and they're like, oh, wow, like, so brilliant. And that's that's fantastic. And I'm very happy for you. <laughs> <laughs> I am. I genuinely am. <laughs> but, like... What I took from this episode, like the message, is that the Sam and Dean that we know are exactly where they should be. They're following their destiny, and their own sacrifice of their peaceful lives is meaningful for
1: others. This entire episode's just that. It's the, you can't have what you want because it hurts others, and you have to decide, is your happiness worth more than everyone else's?
0: Did you catch... The little callback to the pilot.
1: I thought that was adorable. As soon as you hear the noise and you see Sam with the bat, I was like, oh, I know where this is going.
0: (laughs) And it's interesting because, like, they're... You know, in the pilot, it's the beginning of their second chance as brothers, like in our universe. And it's sort of the same thing in this episode and this
1: universe. In some media, especially when time travel is involved and stuff, we kind of talk about like fixed points in time. And like, I guess the Dean breaking in and Sam finding him in the night and being like, you know, taken down by Dean is just a fixed point in their relationship that will always be the start of their next chapter.
0: This sort of furthers the idea that this episode is about destiny. Because like you said, no matter what they do, they end up here in this fixed moment in time.
1: Okay. So for me, the drinking comes up quite a bit. And I think my issue with it is it starts to kind of do this nice little thing with like the storytelling where it's never outright said, but the fact that every character seems to be so up to snuff with how much Dean drinks, I kind of got the vibe that in this reality, he may have actually been an alcoholic, like legitimately a problem drinker. And everyone kind of just, I don't want to say accepted it, but like was ready to deal with it because they're so used to it. Nobody reacted in a way that really seemed, like, shocked that he was, like, calling late or, like, showing up at Mary's house. Like, you know... His mother was just like, oh, it's OK. I called your wife. She'll come get you. Like, this is like, th- we, like, this is normal. You getting drunk and doing something stupid or being crazy, like in a world where he got everything that he thinks he wants. He's not happy.
0: The next two times in the series where Dean makes a wish, he gets his wish granted and he's still not happy.
1: I'm sensing a theme then.
0: I just sort of want to respond to the the alcoholism thing, like because we've talked about in previous episodes about how Dean uses alcohol to cope. So it's not like this is a surprise, right? Like we know that Dean uses alcohol to cope, even in our reality. The fact that he still uses it in his other reality says that he's not happy. So I absolutely agree with that. I just wanted to add like that we know about this problem from Dean. If we move like to the the end of the episode, you know, the, the big moment between Dream Sam and Dean, when Dean is about to quote-unquote dream kill himself so that he can wake up. That's when we see Mary, Jess, and Carmen appear. And in that moment, you know, Dean is truly confronted with the sacrifice that he has to make. It's basically these three women for the lives of everyone that they've saved. Because when he goes back, those women will no longer exist. Carmen is a figment of his imagination and Jess and Mary will die.
1: It kind of falls in the trope of like women being there to motivate male characters, unfortunately. Thank you for saying that. Like, I really don't think they need to do it. But I think Sam alone, just Sam's happiness would have been enough.
0: I think it was a little overkill, quite literally. In the end, Dean actively chooses to go back to his own life. You know, he chooses the hero's journey. And that sort of has me wondering again about free will and destiny and the role that one plays with the other.
1: I mean, obviously, this feels to me like a really good free will moment. But again, I think the trap we're caught in here is that Dean is always going to put others before himself. So even if this means his happiness and people he loves being alive and people he loves being happy. Other people deserve it more or so he feels. So I think free will in this case wins, but that doesn't mean it doesn't play into his destiny, whatever that may be.
0: I think that you've sort of like summed it up really nicely because there is going to be a very big discussion in the show about destiny versus free will. It's really one or the other because they are two opposing worldviews. Either you believe that you are exactly where you're meant to be and you're being led down a specific path, or you believe that you pick your own path, you make your own path. I think that the reality is that it's not black and white, because there are obviously things that will help determine your path for better or worse that you have no control over.
1: It's like I said, I think that if we look from the destiny angle, Dean and Sam are destined to be hunters, to go after things, to save people and save the world. But that isn't to mean they don't have free will. It just means that they both know their place in it and will make that choice for themselves, regardless of their destiny, because they know it's the right thing to do.
0: Moving on to the last scene, where Dean and Sam are talking about the dream reality, the gen reality. And Sam tells Dean that he's glad of how things are. You know, he's telling Dean that he's basically choosing him in that moment, you know, the same way that Dean chose Sam and chose to wake up from the dream. And then we also get a very rare glimpse into Dean being honest and upfront about his feelings. You know, he says he wanted to stay. We've discussed this in Bugs very briefly. This is Dean's dream, right? A very simple... Quiet life, surrounded by the people he loves. And he, for a second, he had it.
1: And, I mean, he would never have to live with himself. Like, he would, if he wasn't already an alcoholic, he'd drive himself to it, knowing that he could have changed things.
0: Well, I also think that being parachuted into this reality, he might have done things a little differently than if he had truly grown up with it, right? So, like, just kind of keeping that in mind because he has more perspective than the person that he was growing up in this environment right he knows what it's like to be hungry he knows what it's like to you know have to steal for food like he he knows a lot more than what like his suburban privileged you know counterpart would be i'm sure that you have been wondering all along but mary does this answer your season one crossroads about wishing john had died instead of mary in 1983
1: yeah I'm gonna be very honest. I do recall that one of your crossroads deals, I forget when, was that Mary had lived. I forget that I forgot that it was that John died instead, but it was just that Mary had lived. And I was curious to know how you uh how you would react knowing that this was in our future this whole time.
0: I like that my hatred of John is so true that you're like, I don't remember if you would wish that Mary had lived or that John had died. But you know, what are one, one of those two. I don't think it truly answers my crossroads because there's a very important piece of the puzzle about Mary that is not present in this episode.
1: And is that because we don't have time to explore or because Dean... Doesn't know it, so it couldn't be in The Wish.
0: Because Dean doesn't know it.
1: Ooh.
0: We find out a lot about Mary in future seasons.
1: I really can't wait. I feel like there's a good, like, dark history that I need to get into.
0: Absolutely. Shall we move into critical time?
1: Let's go. So, who was behind this masterful episode?
0: So, the writer for this episode was Ryle Tucker... This is her last episode for Supernatural. If we recall, in season two, she wrote Children Shouldn't Play With Dead Things, which is interesting because there's a few callbacks there. She also wrote Hunted and Roadkill. And this episode was directed by none other than Eric Kripke himself, who is, of course, as we remember, the creator and showrunner at this point. In season two, he's written In My Time of Dying.
1: You know, it's funny. I feel like the last few times he's been the director, I have felt the episode was like missing something. Or had like a different flavor almost. I feel like this episode just fit perfectly. Like I wouldn't have guessed it was one of his from that.
0: That's a backhanded
1: compliment. <laughs> Normally I can tell when Kripke does them because there's kind of a bluff feeling to the episode. But this one felt fine. Way to go, Kripke.
0: <laughs> I mean, I'm certainly not a Kripke apologist in any way, shape or form but this was a great episode. I really liked it. I mean, obviously I have some issues with it, but this was a really great episode. There really isn't much to say.
1: It does what it needs to do. It's able to give us a lot of information. And like I said, a little bit alluding to the drinking thing, it doesn't spell everything out. It kind of leaves you to like read the room. It, It just does a lot of really good world building, which I'm really impressed by.
0: Do you want to tell us a little bit about gins?
1: I must say I've known about jinns like i i think the very obvious thing and i'll just put it on the table because i don't want to assume anyone's knowledge of the jinn is the jinn is islamic faith based uh entity it is where our modern day version of the genie comes from and i was reading up on jinn because i you know i i feel like my knowledge of the jinn come from a lot of video games and tabletop games where they tend to be evil spirits who are like hunting people or playing tricks on them and like mind games and like messing with people. And I can kind of see how that kind of goes with the whole idea of a genie. often there's the whole idea of like, be careful what you wish for. And a lot of stories of genies who will like, you know, take the wish out of context to kind of mess with you. I'm reading through all these Jin lore and how like different religious texts refer to them as Everything from malevolent spirits to spirits that could be good or evil, some even equate them to being almost human, have the same rules that humans do, like a human could be good or evil, and it's how they choose to do things and how they choose to believe in religion. I kept reading, and I kept reading, and at no point in any historical text... Do we get jinn granting wishes? Until, some of you may know, or if you don't, there is a famous text called A Thousand and One Stories, is the only time we ever find a Jin granting wishes. And that is where every modern genie legend comes from.
0: Are you telling me that our popular conception of genies basically comes from a fan fiction written a really long time ago?
1: Pretty much, yes.
0: <laughs> cool. <laughs> <sighs> I feel like fan fiction today gets a lot of bad rap. but at the end of the day, any work that you write that is not that doesn't use your original characters is fan fiction. Most Marvel movies that we see today, pure fan fiction. Supernatural at the end, fan fiction.
1: With our listeners, might not piss anybody off, And I can imagine some listeners being pissed by that in other cases.
0: Oh yes, certainly. So for Critical Time, I don't have that much to... Oh, well, that's a lie. I had a lot on my mind while I was listening. So I'm not sure if it was, you know, very clear to you as a first-time watcher, but like in the first five seasons, Sam is meant to be the main character of the show.
1: As much as I don't think it's incredibly obvious, I think once you kind of have that mindset, you start to see it more.
0: And it's also why in the credits, Jared's name appears before Jensen's. It really made me wonder why this episode, which focuses on, you know, choosing the hero's journey, choosing destiny, choosing sacrifice, was given to Dean and not Sam. Like, is there a message to be read into that? That maybe, like, not all heroes are the main characters? Like, honestly, I really don't know.
1: I do like that. And I will always argue that it's a very valid point because I truly feel one of the best heroes in fiction was not the main character of their own book or film. Sam Wise. He was robbed. He was the better character. Frodo sucks. I want that on the record for our listeners. I thoroughly dislike Frodo. Sam was the far superior character in that that film. I haven't read the books. I don't know how much different it is. But I watch those movies, and I just give a disapproving frown to Frodo constantly.
0: Sam, Samwise definitely is the hero of that journey. I will never disagree with that. You know, I'm sorry, like, I I just, I'm kind of blown away by the comparison because... What makes Samwise a hero is that every time he has the option of making, you know, quote unquote, the easy choice or the hard choice, he always makes the hard choice. And that's truly what we're seeing Dean do in this episode. And so I think that this episode kind of marks a shift in the way that the brothers are represented.
1: Yeah, this is really kind of a turning point. This is really the Dean will always make the sacrifice for everyone else so that they can get what they need to get.
0: To a certain degree like sam's not on his hero journey yet or he is but he's just at an earlier point in it i suppose sam
1: Sam. sam wise
0: shall we go listen to our voicemail for the week
1: let's this week we have a voicemail from katie let's give it a listen
2: hello my wayward friends my name is katie i have been watching supernatural from the beginning I always liked Supernatural shows, and I saw the advertisements for this, and it seemed right up my alley. And it was, um, and I started watching it when it started, which was just as I was finishing high school, going out into the world. So my whole adult life was following this show, growing with this show into who I am now. Um, so it's really shaped who I am. I called in today to talk continue the conversation that you guys had a couple episodes ago about uh conversion therapy and if John tried it. I I truly think he did. It's been pointed out that there was a, a companion piece John Winchester's journal that was published officially published, not like something fan made, official John Winchester's journal that showed that for Dean's 17th birthday, he was sent on his first solo hunt that John knew all the background information for. And that that hunt um, was for two nuns that were at a mission in Wyoming. The nuns had fallen in love with each other and were discovered, and then killed themselves. And it was salt and burn. John knew that Dean would have to go there and face that, and that the only solution was to burn their bodies. I feel that was John's solution to anything he might have picked up on, got an inkling on, was to go send Dean by himself when he's 17, so young, and have him go burn these two nuns that loved each other um, on his birthday. Because John wanted to, I feel, teach Dean a lesson, but also states that he literally wanted to hang out with Sam. So he got rid of Dean to go learn that hard lesson of what John really thanks. uh so yeah i I think that was john's take on conversion therapy and just you know file that right in the a plus parenting file that we all have for john uh i'm loving the podcast guys thank you so much for going over the episodes again i'm following right along it's bringing me back thank you Katie,
0: thank you so much for your voicemail. So I've known about this particular piece of trivia, but I hadn't really quite linked it to the idea of conversion therapy. But I guess that does answer my question about whether or not John knew about Dean's queerness, or at least suspected it, and what he would do if he found out. We know this as per John Winchester's journal, and that's just horrifying. I mean, we just went through an episode that was so hard for Dean, and now now we have to listen to this. (laughs) This has nothing to do with your voicemail, Katie. Thank you very, very much for for sending it in, but it's just... The poor man cannot catch a freaking break, no matter what reality he's in.
1: Thank you again. Uh, also, like, beautiful voicemail. Like, I, I know the subject wasn't exactly pleasant, but it also something that just through the cultural osmosis I've heard brought up this tale before. I think you actually went a little more in detail, which I appreciate. I mean, like, this is going to sound terrible, but like, I just need just say it. God, I hope that's all he ever did as far as conversion therapy goes. Like, if that's the worst that John could have done, like, I think that's actually, like, better in my head. I'm going to choose to believe that's the one move he made and he thinks he did everything fine and just let it slide. From there, and Dean just learned to hide it from him better because, as dark as that is, it sounds better than the alternative that my brain has concocted. To send Dean out to go hunt these two very specific spirits, also is Dean's way of saying, Look at the thing they did and what they became. They were monsters and they became monsters.
0: You're putting words onto the subtext, and I really appreciate that. Again, I think it's important to say those things, put them out in the open. You know, he was 17, his 17th birthday. Shall we move on to our crossroads?
1: Yeah, hopefully they'll be less depressing.
0: I wish that we had seen more about Carmen and Dean's relationship. From what everybody says in this episode, it really sounds like Dean is not a very kind person in this reality contrary to what we know of him. And when he tells her that she's so great, you know, she says that she doesn't know what's gotten into him, but that she likes it. So I think that I would have been interested to find out more about them and just, I guess, to see like what Dean looks like in a happy domestic relationship. I really think that Dean's love language, how he expresses to people how he loves them is acts of service. I think that I would give up the mowing of the lawn scene in order for like a different montage of like him doing things. Yes, sure for Mary, but also for Carmen.
1: I think that's a beautiful trade and I loved the lawn mowing scene. I don't know why, but it just like felt so good.
0: It's 100% a man thing.
1: Okay, I hate mowing the lawn. It is my <laughs> least favorite chore. If I could pay my neighbor's kids to mow my lawn, I would be the happiest person alive. I think for me what it is is just seeing Dean happily doing a mundane task.
0: I guess the reason why I'm saying I said that in the first place is because this felt very kripke-ish. Like I don't know how to say it otherwise. <laughs> But this felt like a full on Kripke moment. I tend to associate him with like very like outwardly displays of traditional masculinity, and I think that that's that that explains like my my visceral reaction to it.
1: There is a thing with Kripke in his episodes that kind of has a weird like boys will be boys mentality to it.
0: I'm glad that you're seeing it too, and that it's not just me, (laughs) because then that would be weird.
1: That's why this was the scene that was chosen as far as the like good task goes. I think it is a very cliche scene of like the. Sun mowing the lawn while the parents watch, kind of thing, or like parents get to relax while the son does the chore. Like, I feel like every show that has a family dynamic at some point has had the like the son mowing the lawn scene, and it is very like male stereotypical in those things. Mine's incredibly dark, and I hate it. Double-edged sword time, because I know what I want is, and I kind of alluded to it earlier, is I love that kind of like world building where We're not explicitly told something, but because of everyone's reactions, we kind of have this image of like maybe Dean drinks more than he should or Carmen's comment about him, you know, what's gotten into him. I think I would have liked to have seen more things in their lives and around them, more reactions, maybe even physical objects that helped tell some of the stories of who Dean was before He entered this reality as himself. I think a really simple one, if we kind of go on that same length, of there seems to be a drinking issue, I would have liked to have seen like their home, you know, like having like a really full recycling bin full of bottles, like the idea that like he's having like more than one or two beers every night consistently, or, you know, like a really full liquor cabinet where every bottle's nearly empty. Clearly he's drinking a lot and there's the signs around the house. I don't think I wanted to go much further, but I would have loved more little things where it's like, oh, what does that mean? Or like, why is that there?
0: So more visual building, visual world building is a show, not tell basically is what you're asking a little bit. Like when Carmen says like, I don't know what's gotten into you, but I like it. Or like, When Mary says, you know, like, I'm happy that you're spending time here all of a sudden, you know, like.
1: But like, you know, had he woken up to make breakfast for Carmen before work and have her be like completely shocked that he was able to get up that early, not that he was up, but was able to get up that early, like things that would have helped kind of build the narrative, like who he was before all this, I think would have just been a really interesting but very dark. Unfortunately, I think is the angle I keep leaning on here because I feel like that's what we would learn is in this reality, Dean wouldn't have been happy. He wouldn't have been the Dean we know.
0: I can't say I love it, but I will accept it.
1: <laughs> it's a sad reality and I think this kind of goes back to our conversation that you brought up so well earlier of the whole idea of like free will versus destiny and it's that as much as however they got to where they are now in their actual reality they're doing what they are meant to do because it's what they're good at and it's what makes them feel like part of Society in a way that they feel like they can Or at least Dean feels that he can give society In a way that he can And I think if he didn't have this outlet to help people I, I really could see Dean being a crappy person I mean
0: I disagree But I understand why you feel this way At this point in the story
1: Can I say that I'm comforted that you disagree?
0: Yes, you can You can Like this is
1: one of those scenarios Where I don't want to be right So please and thank you
0: Again, like I don't see it that way But I think it's because I've seen the entire series It's not It's not because you're wrong From your perspective perspective, this makes sense. But I think from mine, like, it's not something that I can accept.
1: For once, can I just point out that you're the one being positive about the outlook on this series and not me?
0: Finally, I got, I got to it. <laughs>
1: <laughs> You've been listening to Carrying Wayward, a supernatural podcast produced by Rochelle Castellano, hosted by Marie Vigouroux, and myself, Drew Shulman. Thank you to our Bunker patron, Katira, for her generous support. This week, we'd like to thank Katie for her voicemail. Help us keep the conversation going. You can send us a voice recording at carryingwayward at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube using at Carrying Wayward. And leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. And don't forget to join our Patreon for perks and extra content. Our October live event will be a live watch of Bad Day at Black Rock on October 28th. You can use the link in all of our social media bios or go directly to patreon.com slash Carrying Until next week.
0: Carry on, our wayward friends. Wait, hold on. I don't think that's the right title. (laughs) Shit. Hold on. That's not the right title.